This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us again as we start to wind down the year. A very big interview coming up very shortly. We're going to speak to one of the legends of supercar racing here in Australia, Mark Scaife, to join us about his new book and also Richard Crail and Mark Walker to join me for a chat later in the program as well. All that to come right here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, to talk about a brand new book that's out on the shelves just in time for Christmas too for all our motor racing fans, Mark Scaife, a complete illustrated autobiography of his life. 90 race wins, six Bathurst 1000 race wins, five Australian Touring Car Championships, V8 Supercar Championship wins, three Drivers Championship wins and the all-time record for race and round wins in Australian motorsport joins us for a chat now. Mark, welcome and thanks uh, for joining us. Hey, Tony, thank you. What an amazing career you've had on and off the track, and we'll try and cover a little bit of here today. And as I said, I suggested everyone go and get the book because it, it details your career so beautifully from the very start, from Dad having the tyre business and putting you into karting, to the very end, which, well, there is no end, actually. It's still continuing, but the uh, the off-track stuff of the TV side. Yeah, look, it's um, it, it's been a real journey. And uh, as you correctly point out, a lot of the photos and things that we've been able to grab out of our sort of private collection show those early days at uh, the Tire Town. It was originally my grandfather's wild tire service business. And then Dad took those businesses over in the early 70s and then through uh, that period of time, he did some racing and that's sort of where I caught the bug. And then as a consequence, um, when I was 14, you know, he, he sort of said, you know, do you want to have a, a crack at go-karting? And uh, and then, you know, things basically moved on from there. And it's uh, it's been an incredible rollout of, uh, of uh, those pictures and those things and those stories throughout the book there. And, and uh, one of the mistakes I made, Tony, was uh, it was actually my best mate's idea, it was Craig Kelly's idea, to get some people to, to write, colleagues and friends, write a piece uh, within the book and they've smashed me. They've called me a, a serial pest, a, a below average loser, a, a, a giant pain in the backside, you, you name it. I mean, Neil Crompton hasn't missed me at all. So no, no. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been pretty uh, uh, pretty good. No, it certainly has and there are some fantastic uh, pages there from, from others in regards to your career. Let's go back to the start quickly. And I'm one as a believer, and I'm sure you are too, that racing is in your blood. It's something that you do from an early age. It's something you become accustomed to at an early age. If you're going to be any good at the business, any good at the sport, and for you it was going to Oran Park and Amaru Park with Dad on his shoulders watching racing from there. And that's where obviously the love of racing happened for you and it never really left you, did it? No, it didn't. And I, you know, I remember those days so fondly, you know, being able to stand at the top of the dog leg at Oran Park with dad or, and watch, you know, the, the very best drivers of the day, you know, stand under the Ron Hotson media tower at Amaru Park and watch everybody come through the final turn at, at Amaru. And, you know, whether it was Brock, Bond, Moffat, Morris, Richards, Johnson, Grice, you name them all, yeah. you know, superstar drivers of the day. And, what it does is it's not just the passion, but it becomes a craft. You know, you you were able to to watch 
the masterclass of drivers right in front of you apply their trade, do their thing, you know, the way they the way they turn the wheel, the way that they lit the throttle up, the way that they, um, in terms of car control, I, like I always remember Pete Gagan, you know, in the Craven Mild um, sports sedan yeah. coming onto the straight sideways and he'd have it out on the slide and his ability to, to run the car right up to the fence and, and, and gather the car up. And, and as I, as I said, as a craft, it was something that I had a real affinity with. And, and, you know, I, I think, that's the thing that we love. I mean, I, I, I'm still passionate. I love watching the very best drivers drive cars and, mm. uh, and you know, how hard it is and you know how difficult it is to do it well. So when you do have a passion for it, it, you know, it served me well in terms of wanting to, you know, optimize my own performance and get better all the time in terms of driving. So to be fair to say that your driving style evolved from, a whole lot of different guys, not just anyone in particular? Yeah, I, I basically sort of thought about it so much that I, I wanted to try to capture the positives of sort of each of their driving styles in some ways. And, and you know, I mean, arguably, when you watch Peter Brock, what you watch from the outside was exceptional. His car control was, was brilliant. But if you, I made the analogy with Brock, if you actually put the in-car camera in there and you watched him, he's, he's Ali-like because, because the boxing profession mm. says that Ali didn't actually shape up and didn't have what was a, a, a great technique in terms of what you would teach kids to do uh, from a pure uh, boxing standpoint. And the same thing applies to Brock. You know, Brock didn't actually have, in terms of his where he placed his hands, how much he moved his head, all the things. He, he probably didn't actually, if you watched him, it certainly wasn't as tradesman-like as someone like a Jim Richards uh, or an Alan Grice. Yeah. So, so the way that each of the drivers had their own specific style was something that I was always interested in, and certainly I was able to to grab as much of the positivity out of it and use it in my my own world. The other thing you need to be a successful driver in the sport is you need to have a little bit of, geez, there's so many little words that I could use to describe it, but a little bit of uh, mongrel about you, I suppose, is probably the best way to say it without offending anyone. And I think you might have got that early in the 86 Laser Series. And I'll read an extract from Auto Action's race report of that day, which is in the book which says Scaife, unaccustomed to being led and wanting to grab all the series points he could, pulled alongside Williams uh, on, on the day, and that was Steve Williams, if I remember correctly, and the war was on. For almost one lap, the duo remained side by side. It was obvious that something had to give, and it did. As they approached Honda Corner, Williams head into the dirt, found himself in sixth place when he returned to the track. Always not peaches and cream for Scaife either, as he also found himself on the grass. This time, at the exit from Honda, fortunately for him, though, the rest of the field was far enough behind he rejoined back in the lead. Is that where, and I then read your final paragraph, which you wrote, said, Dad was happy with the move too. And seriously, it's still one of my best. Is that where you learned at that point that you needed something more than just being a good driver to actually go on and win championships? <laughs> well, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because if you love, my grandfather used to say, if you love something, you always remember it, right? And so if you're interested in things, that's why, you know, people develop, their thought patterns and their and their knowledge from being interested in stuff. And I remember that pass as vividly as it was yesterday. And 
And I remember him blocking me at dead stop at the second last corner. So I drove down the outside of him and I was planning on doing the crisscross mm. to get back the inside. But Steve Williams is actually a pretty, he was a pretty good driver. He was a very good driver in those days. So he balked me in the middle of the, of the dead stop exchange and I ended up having to run around the outside of him. Well, it was never my plan to be around the outside. So I drove around the outside of the next corner at Ron Hodson corner. Then I drove up and over the top of the hill. I couldn't get past him before the top of the hill. So I ended up around the outside of him at Dunlop Loop. We went down to Mazda House to the fast right-hander and we I turned in there with him also. I, I ended up out in the grass and I come back on alongside him for the only effective left-hander. So it's the only corner that I could be on the inside. I, I thought to myself, I've got to fix this right now. So when I come back on and we turn to the left, I gave him a whack, put him off the edge of the road, and I ended up leading and driving away. Yeah. He wasn't he wasn't very happy, nor was his sister or his family when I got out of the car afterwards. <laughs> but but your you know your intro to the question of having to have some mongrel about you, I, I use a few other terms sometimes. Yeah, but, me too. Um, you, you definitely have to have some mongrel about you, and and that's I mean that's just how it is. I mean I, I think there's a there's there's a sense of, of of etiquette. There's a sense of understanding what's right and wrong. And I, I've argued for a long long time. We don't need stewards. We we don't need to walk into a steward's room in reality because we all know what's right and wrong. Yeah. And what we demand and what I would like to say is sort of been part of my philosophy of racing and my sort of trademark of, of, of doing it is it, it needs to be hard but fair. And, and the reality is, you know, I, I never wanted to just serve blokes off the road um, because you, you, you want to be able to overtake in a way that's authoritative, but it's, it's ethical. It's, it's within the guideline. You've had a lot of good mates that you've made through the sport. And Glenn Seaton, I suppose, is one of them through the, the years that you've known him, basically nearly all of your life from those very early days right through until now. Take us through that strained relationship with, with Glenn in that period of time where Glenn and his dad left Nissan and that Fred Gibson team. And, and your thoughts at the time of that it was he was being totally disloyal to a man that probably gave him a, a start and, and a go. Yeah, look, that's probably the only time in Glenn and my lives together that we've had any level of animosity. Um, and if you think about the, the level of rivalry that we had, Tony, we were effectively the front men for Ford and Holden. Yeah. Um, we were driving mobile cigarette packets for two very, very big brands with Rothmans and Winfield in my camp and Philip Morris and Peter Jackson in Glenn's camp. Um, you know, we had tyre brand rivalries. We had, you know, Holden and Ford marketing rivalry. There was as much uh, rivalry off the track as there was on the track. So the commercial objectives for both of us, we, we probably shouldn't have come out as mates. You know, we, we, we had every opportunity of not being friendly under those scenarios. But that, that specific time that you were talking about, we were sponsored by Peter Jackson. Philip Morris was, you know, a big, a big contributor to Australian motorsport and, and Glenn's relationship with them was very strong. Um, I, I don't feel anywhere near as as passionate about it these days because I understand it probably more holistically. But uh, Glenn left, took the Peter Jackson money, took a few of our mechanics and technicians and, and fabricators and stuff. There were people that went with Glenn, uh, which is all their decisions, no, no problem. Um, and Barry and Glenn, you know, went and set up their own organisation. And and I did feel at that point that there was, you know, some... some um, 
disloyalty in in some ways, but you know, again, um, I I I don't I don't hold you know that against Glenn, and and I thought that it would have been very difficult for him to walk into Fred's office and say, hey, look, I'm going to leave, I'm going to set up my own organisation, and and I've and I've got the the major sponsor with me. So, you know, I, I, Glenn and his dad are they're, they're not confrontational people. They're, they're beautiful people, and the that level of animosity, um, you know, we, it was there for probably a year or so. But but as I said, we're still we're, we're still great mates, and we've uh, certainly let that water go under the bridge. Was it as tough for you then when you decided to make that change from Nissan to Holden Racing Team in '95? Did you feel a conflict in your thoughts in regards to that loyalty? Well, totally. I mean, not many people know, but I, I could have left a lot earlier. I mean, John Crennan offered me that drive. Um, I met with he and Tom clandestinely um, in 1994, um, and, and I could have gone there in 1995. Um, I could have gone there again in 1996. Um, so under both scenarios, I could, I could have left. I, I did feel a strong amount of loyalty to Fred and the team. Um, uh, you know, we'd won the championship for the first time for Holden in 14 years when we won it in 94. My relationship with Holden was exceptional. And and when I finally, in 1996, when we'd run out of cigarette money, in 96 we had, you know, a plain white car, by the time we got to mid-1997, uh, I had to have a, you know, a real heart-to-heart with Fred and, and John... Crennan had offered me the drive with Peter Brock, and and on a on a wink and a nod that you know Brock was was probably going to retire, and and in the end that was the plan, and uh, I was able to to replace Peter at the Holden Racing Team. So, yeah, that was that was a very difficult discussion with Fred, and uh, you know again the, the great thing is you know he's one of my closest friends, and you know we still speak you know once a week, and I see him a lot, and uh, he and Christina you know. A very strong part of our, our family connection. You spoke about that association with Brock then in '97, and you got to drive with him at Sandown and Bathurst. And I think it's fair to say you may have even showed him up at Bathurst in that year. You definitely did on lap times in qualifying and the like. Driving with a legend like that it was the first time you got to to be a teammate with him. That must have been an exciting time for you as a driver, even though you'd been in the business for a while, still to get that opportunity. Oh yeah, look, you, you, I mean, you can only ever have the utmost respect and admiration for for what Peter did, and it wasn't just for what he did on the track, and we know his exploits, but what he did off the track. You know, he he was probably one of the most recognisable brands, as in as in a sporting person in this country for a long time, and you know what he did with the media, what he did with the fans and supporters. You know what he did with the industry. I mean, he, you know, he, like like all of us, you know, it, we all know, you know, some of those flaws and you know some of the of the of the things, you know, with his falling out with Holden yeah. um, in '87. But you know, it, inevitably, he, he's a guy that I always, you know, really looked up to. He was sort of an idol when I was a young bloke, and I qualified alongside him actually at my first proper touring car championship race, and. Uh, and uh, you know, it was a it was a massive moment when you you know your childhood hero you line up alongside to race against. So you can you know, for me, it was there was a, a lot to our relationship. It, there was 
certainly a lot of respect. And and when I finally drove with him, and and even for his last drive, man, not many people know that you know when he drove for HRT um, in 2004 at Bathurst, and I put you know Jason Plato in the car with him. It was a very respectful thing, you know. I I actually said to him, I don't want you to go and drive a car that's not prepared like a factory team. You know, yeah. I, I was actually worried about his safety. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, you know, that was a really um, nice relationship that we had um, as a consequence of, of those arrangements. You had some amazing teammates in the time, Jim Richards, Craig Lowndes, just to name a couple. Was the relationship always sweet with your teammates or did personal interest and ego come in at times? Oh, look, uh, we were we were fighting for sheep stations because that's that's what we were doing, you know. In in both those relationships, Nissan were the team to beat when Jimmy and I were teammates, and and again, so was HRT when Lowndes and I were teammates. So there's a, there's always going to be some element of tension, but I, I'm I'm actually very proud to say that on, on in both of those uh, relationships with with Jim and with Craig, there has never been a bad word. We never, we had, we have never got out of the car and yelled and screamed and carried on. Um, we've, we've raced very hard. We've, we've certainly wanted to beat each other. Um, and in both, both those instances, you think about both those gentlemen you've just, you've just named, you know, gentlemen, Jim on one hand, Craig Lowndes, you know, has always got this big smile on his face, but overwhelmingly both of those people are incredibly competitive. They're arguably two of the very best drivers in history. Yeah. So if you if you think about those relationships and the, the ability to drive with them and against them, um, you know, it's 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 been an incredible tale. You know, it's a it's a um, pretty strange journey sometimes when you're, you're racing against each other and then you're they're driving together. Uh, and we've had a great relationship as a consequence. I think there's a line in the book that says, "Gentlemen, Jim, he wasn't on the track." <laughs> well, he's Jekyll and Hyde, wasn't he? I mean, he's just, how we ever got gentlemen, Jim, you just would not know. <laughs> uh, so true. Time's running out for us, and I know you've got a busy day, and I thank you so much. I just want to throw your attention on a couple of current situations to get your thoughts. Uh, one thing that interests me, though, and, and what I love reading about the book is that it follows your pathway from the very start all the way to now going through Formula Holden into touring cars and the like and, and how you did that. Life's a bit cluttered at the moment, though, for kids now, isn't it, in regards to what is the right pathway to get to the top of the tree? Is it too tough for kids at the moment? Um, yes, is the simple question. You know, it's, it's probably always been too expensive, but a class like the Laser Series, for instance, the reason it was so good was that it was, it was affordable, it was competitive, it had a very high degree of what I would call production drivers, production car drivers that were that were held in high esteem, you know, whether it was Mark Gibbs or Peter Dane or Ken Douglas or Jim Zerifos or Steve Williams or David Brabham. I mean, there was a lot of very, very good drivers of the day driving those cars. And I learnt a lot as a consequence. But but one of the things that um, is, is important when you think about that, Tony, is that you have to have a methodology to come out of karting and and make your way through the the appropriate pathways. 
and you know i've spoken to the motorsport australia a lot about this and and supercars over a long period of time because i've always had a theory that you should have a progression which doubles your money so if you spent fifty thousand dollars go-karting you should be able to come into car racing for a hundred thousand dollars and and be able to be competitive yeah. and the next and the next category is then a $200,000 category and the next one's a $400,000 category and by the time you get to the end of that you probably you've, you've been able to show your wares and you've been able to demonstrate that you should be driving a supercar in some form or another whether yeah. that's super two or super three or whatever so so I'm a real fan of the Toyota 86 series I, I've, I've complimented Neil Crompton and his team on that a lot because that to me is a modern day laser series it's probably a bit more expensive than than it was like for like time for time, but if you but if you think about what it's done in terms of the number of young people that have come through that, whether it's male or female, they they're able to access the grid and and be competitive in a pretty viable, pretty pretty. Um, if it was a means test, yeah. it's it's pretty appropriate for people to be able to do, to go and do it. Yeah, no, fair enough too. Uh, Gen three in 2022 how important is it that everyone gets this right for supercars well i think the fundamentals are that we've, we've all agreed that when we first did car of the future we were looking for a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar rolling chassis and we were looking to improve the engine reliability and the service durations to reduce the engine costs now that hasn't that hasn't happened so the latest iterations of cars, ZB Commodore and a, and a Mustang, are not really in the format of what car of the future was configured for. Yeah. And they've become way too expensive. And the engines are still too expensive. So fundamentally, the cost has to come down. The running cost to be competitive has to even up. There's, the difference between the haves and the have-nots is too far. And the cars that we're going to use, they need to be, and I love the Mustang because I think the Mustang is a great example for Ford fans of a great nameplate, an historic nameplate. Uh, it's the world's number one selling sports car. It's a good looking car. It's affordable. So, so when you think about what that's done for Ford and for what it's done in a racing sense for this country, it's exceptional. So for us, I'm calling it, uh, with the next gen, I'm calling it affordable aspirational. And under the affordable aspirational name plate or tag, then you should be able to have other car companies join the fray. And and they're not Lamborghinis, they're not McLarens, they're not Ferraris, they're not Porsches. They're they're cars that are affordable, aspirational. And yeah. and I think that's a, a very important part of where we go forward. New TV deal in 2021. The sport goes back to Channel 7. Uh, some may say it's home and its roots, and there's no doubt about that. It is. Seven's had a long association with the sport. How does uh, the commentary box look in 2021? Are you a part of it? <laughs> I would like to think so. I, I, um, I'm very much committed to, to Fox, and that relationship's been really good. And I, I think overall fans now understand how committed Fox are to supercar racing uh, and to motorsport overall. Um, their numbers, you know, there's not many sports that have had double digit growth over the last five years. And that's what you know, Fox have been able to boast. Um, I think the amalgamation of Channel 7 coming on board is a strong, it's a strong partnership and, and 
Um, you know, obviously James Warburton knows the sport intimately. Um, there's there's a fair brains trust at Channel Seven that love it. You know, um, Lewis Martin out of Melbourne, uh, Bruce McWilliam out of Sydney. Mm. You know, they they like it. They know that they can make it a dollar out of it. And the connectivity between Fox and Channel Seven will be really important. So I, I'm I'm uh, I'm not going to make comments about what what the casting of the TV thing looks like. I'm going to make I'm going to make sure I stay away from that. But I'm I'm also going to say it's a very positive thing for the sport. And congratulations to Sean Seymour and to John Casey and to the team at Supercars on being able to get that deal done. And a final one for you, mate. As we record this, tonight is the V8 Supercar Media Awards night. And I can tell you that Mark Larkham wins the category of best commentator for 2020, which is a a great honour for him. And I'd love for you to give just a quick 30-second thank you or your your kind words towards him for how he's helped you and Crompo up in the box. Well, I I couldn't have um, a better working relationship with anyone through the course of whether I've been driving or in or in business or in, in general life because Mark Larkin may have been a real competitor with me when we were racing open wheel cars or we were racing touring cars against each other but we've been on the opposite side of the board table at supercars we've been working together with him in our coverage and he is an exceptional human being he loves the game He's passionate about the sport. He always wants the best for our for our sport. He's a guy that makes very complex things seem basic and simple. He's a guy that has real gravitas with our fans and supporters. And people love him because he's Larco. And we love him because he's Larco. And he helps us immensely. Neil and I could not do what we do to the level that we do it without Larco's contribution. Yep, absolutely spot on. And, mate, we love you because you're Scafie. <laughs> Thanks very much, Tom. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, get out there and grab the book, folks. Mark Scafie, as we said, a complete illustrated autobiography. It's out on the shelves now just in time for Christmas. And look forward to catching up with you at Bathurst in Perfect. February of next year. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good on you. Mark Scafie joining us here on The Grid. All right, joining us on the program now, Richard Crowell and Mark Walker from theracetalk.com. Hello, gentlemen. Boys, how are we? Uh, President of Canfor, apparently it feels a lot like Christmas. Does it? I don't know. I don't think so. Could it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Is it? Well, it's a it? line from a song or something, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. What is Christmas? I don't know. We should be having it this year. I'm not sure we deserve it. <laughs> or... Depending on how you look at it, maybe we do deserve Christmas this year. What? Because Christmas yeah. is often as punishing as it is rewarding. So perhaps, you know. Apparently, uh, uh, Santa Claus had to get special dispensation from the Victorian government to actually come into Victoria. Amazing. As an international visitor. He wow. was uh, given dispensation not to have two weeks quarantine. He'll have to arrive on the 15th, won't he? So he doesn't ISO for two weeks. No, no, surely. no. He's okay. He can come on the night of the 24th. Double standards, it's, it's awfully double standards. You're right. It's awfully 2020 for all the bad kids to get a lump of coal, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> They'd want to. They'd want to after this year. Oh, Some of those bad know. kids probably caused all this rubbish. So, you know. I, don't know. I can't validate that claim, but anyway. <laughs> 
when we talk about our sport, we have endured a very weird year, though. It's one that won't be forgotten by many people for a long, long time. Uh, no, I'm going to elect just to block it from my just memory completely, it. Shebek. So yeah. uh, everyone will say it's an unforgettable year, but I choose to forget it and just move on with life um, when everything slowly works its way back to how it should be next year. So yeah, crazy times. But anyway, um, speaking of next year, it was nice to see the eagerly anticipated supercars calendar announcement. And we officially, yeah, we prefaced this by saying um, any calendar announced for 2021 must be taken with a large pinch of salt because we don't, we don't know how this is all going to play out. And there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge yet before everything's back to some form of certainty, but it's nice to have some dates and it's nice to have a little bit of information about the, who, the, what, and the where for the supercast championship next year and how those dates align with what we've already seen from cams or motorsport Australia and ARG. So uh, interesting calendar. It's sort of mostly what we expected, I think, is it not? Oh, I think it's a, Entirely what we expected. There, there isn't a whole lot of innovation. There is there. I mean, as a mug punter sitting here at home, the problem with supercars is that the events are too far, too few and far between. You know, mm. football, it's every weekend without fail. You know, you tune in on a Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, you're going to see a game of footy, aren't you? Mm. But with motorsport, you don't know when it's on. I'd love to see more smaller events more often. I know I'm absolutely dreaming here. I mean, it's what NASCAR uh, is able to do to an extent with their 36 week schedule that they run. But with supercars, where we've got 12 events next year, it's Mm. not a lot, is it? Well, I think the way we need to look at it is more from the holistic point of view of, okay, so there's 12 supercar events, but then there's seven Shannon slash ARG rounds. So that's, 18 is it i don't know my math 19 um in a regular that's bad math it's it's not great well it's late and i'm tired um throw in a regular year throw in the 12 hour there's 20 plus one or two other what you'd class as national events so there's there's probably a calendar of 22 to 24 events and that brings you up to one every two weeks basically for the entire year so yeah the 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 interesting the, the spread surprised me from the calendar. I, I thought it would be more condensed. I realized there's a, a big break. They've got to get in, in mid July to mid August. Cause there's the Olympics that was supposed to happen this year that they they don't want to compete with mainly because their main broadcaster now is committed to doing the Olympics as well. So they, they lose six weeks there. I'm pretty surprised that gold coast is as late as it mm. is though. That December three, five seems very late for mm. a championship that two years ago was going, no, no, we want to, we want to condense things a little bit and, have a longer off season and condense things down. So that's probably the biggest surprise for me. The February Bathurst date where it all kicks off is there by nature of the fact that that's the weekend that the 12 hour is usually a little bit earlier than that. So they couldn't move that date too far forward in the schedule to work around what needs to happen at Bathurst and the Grand Prix. So, you know, in an ideal world, you'd probably start at Albert Park in March, wouldn't you? But they they needed that extra event there in February to, to kick things off. You mentioned Gold Coast wrapping it up in December. That coincides with schoolies, of mm. all things, which is one of the things with that event. It's always been scheduled in downtimes in the hospitality and the tourism sector there on the Gold Coast. It uh, originally was March, which was a 
you know, sometimes used to come up against Easter, but more often than not, they try and put the event outside of that Easter school holidays. Then they put it in October, which was between the September and December school holidays. Now they're jamming it up against schoolies. They don't have yeah. a problem selling accommodation tickets and service paradise during schoolies. Yeah. So you're going to have this weird mix where it's going to be harder for us motor racing punters to, uh, to get a, a decent accommodation near the track. I mean, obviously some places uh, don't like having schoolies and they sort of shuffle the schoolies off elsewhere because they're more trouble than what they're worth. But by the same token, I guess it's an opportunity for supercars if they put on some concerts and a bit of schoolies friendly activity around the event to try and draw some of those kids in because normally they all just toddle off to all their big events at the, the beach that get organized for them and hang out in their apartments and get drunk. But uh, it makes, for, uh, makes more for an opportunity for toolies, doesn't it? Well, you got to have this weird mix of old motor racing pervs and school kids. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be bizarre. So for, our friends, for our friends over in uh, the UK and Europe who are listening to us through the Radio Show Limited, the <laughs> toolies into Google. Yeah. Or, or, or don't. It's don't. your choice. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, that, it's an interesting scenario. Cracking place for a final round, though. Well, I oh, mean, take date oh, aside, what a dramatic title decider that is. So it goes down to the wire and the variables that could decide the championship in that joint, like, oh, my God, beach chicane, curb strikes, inclement weather, torrential downpour, thunderstorms, lightning Brings strikes. memories of Homebush, doesn't it? Yeah, low-flying F-18. Like, the, the list is long and extensive. And also taking the second driver out of the equation there. So it's just going to be A drivers against A drivers. So uh, that'll be interesting. The other thing too is we're going to have Super 2s and 3s competing on the undercard there, which Mm. I I think will be interesting because they don't want to be tearing up stuff. So the good thing thing about it is, is that also for the economy in southeast Queensland there, you're going to have four or five categories, maybe more, that are going to be wrapping up their season. So there's going to be plenty of dinners, and uh, those sort of nights. And then also the supercars dinner, I assume, will also be on the Gold Coast the following night after the last round. So there's going to be a lot happening. Yeah, assuming they have a gala. I reckon they worked out how affordable it is to present the championship trophy <laughs> at the racetrack on the Sunday night after the final race and think, oh, maybe we don't need to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on a uh, what is essentially a massive alcohol fest for everybody to party at the end of the year. So yeah, I'm not sure. Porsche will definitely have their excellent awards night there though. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, Outside of that, there's not much to pick. It'll be interesting just to see how the various formats um, slide. So they're talking about five or six of the two day supercar event formats that we saw throughout the the condensed schedule this year. So I think that works. Um, Back to back night racing. Sydney yep, so, Park into Perth. So Sydney Super Night's going to be a, a terrific event. And that's got quite a good support program as well, which I think is really important for to get the Sydney punters out to the racetrack. So that's going to be good fun. Um, we're assuming everything's good for us to go to New Zealand in November. So that's fine. But it'll be interesting to see whether that lands back at Pukekohe. Now there's not that Anzac date clash drama or it goes to Hampton Downs or who knows, could, could go somewhere else. Um, yeah, but otherwise it's a, it's a good calendar and just, you know, if they can pull this calendar off, then that's an enormous result for everybody. Cause it gives them certainty moving forward, um, for the year. So yeah, good stuff. You mentioned the Pugakoi round there. I saw today that Porsche Carrera Cup Australia yeah. gun New Zealand, pack your bags, son, you're off. 
yeah, looking forward to it. I'd have to renew the passport. Um, I think I'd need that for a long time to come. So that's, yeah, that's exciting. First time for Carrera Cup Australia to race over there. New Zealand's got an amazing Porsche heritage. And, yeah. uh, of course, the most successful Carrera Cup Australia driver of all time in Craig Baird's from there. So there's going to be... I'd like to see all Bamba Motorsport too. Yeah. So, commitment to Porsche Carrera Cup Australia. Yeah, there's going to be quite a big Kiwi contingent in Carrera Cup next year. I'll tell you what, and we just go off topic a little bit, the Carrera Cup field is going to be enormous in terms of its depth and size will be great, but depth will be phenomenal. Some of the names that are getting thrown around are really impressive. And just think of people out of drives in the main game, perhaps, and um, you'll get a bit of an idea about some of the rumors floating around the paddock. Yeah, she's going to be a feisty championship next year. Wow. Super. So on that, Rich, uh, obviously only one Giro next year, Bathurst. Mm. What does that do for co-drivers, do you think? I'm just putting this out there without any thought into the question at all. Like normally there was a, a fairly decent wage available to these guys for a three race campaign, I guess, towards uh, the end of the year. Now it's only one race at Bathurst. Do those guys, those co-drivers, those A-grade guys keep their good wage or do they, oh. do they cop a massive whack because they're only lobbing up and do one event? No, well, to... I, yeah, they, I think they get a heck, massive haircut for sure. So there, there were the, the top level enduro drivers in the past when there were three enduros were on properly good money. Mm. Um, most of them though were on to do three races were on a wage that certainly not a full-time wage to sustain you throughout the year, but more than enough to you pick up some driver training here and you do a bit of media work here or whatever, and you're fine right as rain away you go. Um, yeah. So they're all going to cop a haircut. So whereas you may have been getting a hundred grand to do the three races, now you might only get 30 to do Bathurst. And that's, that's going to put some pressure on these guys and girls to try and, and find either more drives or um, more work, do something different. Yeah. Interesting. It's a scenario that hasn't been talked about yet. And that will play a role in, in the driver economy. I suppose that are, those that are doing it professionally might have to spread their wings and, find some other way to make some cash for uh, for a couple of years until we get more enduros back if we do. So this 500k event at Mount Panorama Bathurst is now locked in. Mm. What are we thinking is going to be the the score there? How, how do you see that playing out? It's just going to be, uh, it's going to be hot as buggery. It mm. always is that time of year. Um, 250k race around Bathurst. I mean, it won't be as tough, I guess, as the Sunday afternoon at Adelaide, but mm. it's not going to be easy. Shebex, what do you reckon? Yeah, no, I think uh, it, you're right. It's going to be tough because obviously they're going to be mid-afternoon to fit in for television times. So start time of maybe around about three, finishing close to six for prime TV times. It's, it's going to be tough for these guys. There's no doubt about it. One driver, 250Ks of a tough circuit like Bathurst. 250Ks, what's that? That's six. 40 that's laps. 30, that's 38 laps, is it? 40, 40 laps. laps. Almost yeah. exactly. So, um, yeah, so the interesting thing for mine is that there'll be, so this year at the 1000, for example, a, a full tank of fuel was what, 22 laps? Yep. So hot pace, hot conditions, you'll probably burn a bit more. She could be real close on fuel. If you stop early, for example, you might have to do a splash at the end. So there's some strategic stuff that'll play out with that as well, which I like. Yeah, they're going to be very different character to the 250k races that we've seen play out in the past um, on the streets of Adelaide. So that that will be really, really interesting. Yeah, 40 laps of Bathurst is a good distance. 
should be hard work, yeah. but um, yeah, it's, it's not supposed to be easy. So I'm all for it. I, I don't mind them starting there. I and and I was separate of my role with the 12 hour in the past. I was in favour of them running on the Saturday at the 12 hour. I thought that would have made it just super. The logistics were almost impossible because they wouldn't have been able to do pit stop races because the 12 hour teams have the garages. But yeah. I, I thought if you're going to start, start at Bathurst in, in February um, and have a couple of sprint races, that'd be brilliant. What a, what a great weekend of motor racing that'd be with a 12 hour headlining the Sunday. But um, I think this is a really interesting experiment. And then the other interesting thing boys about the, the calendar announcement was that in 22, we start in Newcastle. So I think it's pretty vital important that they've actually got that deal done to keep that event on the program and actually open the year with a real headliner in 22, which vaccines going well will be the first year of going back to normal. If there is such a thing um, after, after 2020. So that's, that's an interesting deal. And uh, a little sideline, I thought that was interesting in the announcement that they've, they've locked that in. And that's a pretty crucial deal from a government point of view for supercars to, to maintain. I'm concerned for Victoria, uh, as you guys are with uh, South Australia and the loss of your street race there to open up the season. We have no racing at Phillip Island again in 2021, so that's consecutive years now. We have no racing at Sandown in 2021. And effectively, if you take the Grand Prix out, it's uh, Winton and that is it, which is why well, take the Grand Prix out, I, half I, hours I, out of Melbourne. I saw another argument about this, Shebex, and people going, oh, you can't count the Grand Prix. Why, why can't you count the Grand oh, no, Prix? No, no, I'm not. Well, it's not a permanent track, for starters. So it's a, But it's, it's a, a supercar race, race two no, kilometres no, from the and, and it's a supercar race and it's happening. I, mm. I totally get that. That's fine. But I'm just looking that if you took that off the calendar, and there's every chance that that could happen one day, and that would be nothing that supercars could do about that. It would be an AGP and an mm. FIA decision. But if you took that off the calendar and Melbourne didn't happen again in three or four or five years' time, are we just going to be stuck with Winton? No, but if, if Albert Park wasn't on the calendar, they'd go to Phillip Island or Sandown. Oh, they? Yeah, well, you, they have to because they're all about sustaining these They these get markets. no money from the government to go to regional. Well, they do because they get money to go to Winton, which is why they're going to Winton and not to Sandown Correct. or Phillip Island. They don't and I, and I would be concerned that if they didn't get money from the government to go to Winton, would they go to Winton? But if the government wasn't paying for, um, well, no, they probably wouldn't. But if the government wasn't paying for Albert Park, I'm sure they'd be able to get cash out of them to go and do. So it brings up. Track. So it brings up a separate issue: is is the business model that supercars has in regards to trying to get money from governments to run events? Is it a sustainable model? Well, I mean. <laughs> They're a business and their business is to make as much money as possible. If it's squeezing money out of governments and they've been very good at that over the years, do it. I mean, mm. if it makes more money to uh, sell around to Sam Shahin or Winton or whatever as, you know, as, as a non-supercars event, they'd do it. If that's what makes them money, they'll, they'll find a way of making it work for them as best as possible. I mean, you, you look at Southeast Queensland, we don't have QR anymore. Mm. Our only event's the Gold Coast, which isn't exactly in Brisbane, is it? So, yeah. you know, Sydney's only got one round. They're as big as Melbourne and they only get one Saturday night event at Sydney Motorsport Park. So It's a different it's face, like, though, isn't it? The calendar of a supercar season yeah, now. It, a lot it, of it, it should changed be, a lot. And like the, the Queensland issue is much like the Melbourne issue, is that 
Sand, I personally like Sandown, but we've seen in the last couple of years that you have one big crash there and you write the rest of the day off. Yep. So is it a venue that should be holding those events? Now, I think yeah, Supercar cool. should still go to Sandown on the heritage aspect of it. So I'm in the yes, they should. But you know, the, the days of having inner city racetracks are, are gone, unless it's a street event. So if you're in Victoria and you want to go racing, you're going to Winton or you're going to Phillip Island, two hours north or two hours southeast. Simple as that. Um, the Brisbane thing is no one wants to go to Queensland Raceway and Queensland Raceway doesn't want really want to bother with supercars events because they don't really need it and it's a pain in the ass to them. So it's the same drama. But again, you've got to go an hour out of Bris Vegas to get to that place as well. So otherwise you go but to you, Morgan Park. So it's, you, it's a, it's a facility up, thing as well. And you look up here, Rich, we've got Lakeside, which is only 20 minutes out of mm. uh, Brisbane. The reality is that if you want to race at these throwback venues like Lakeside and Sandown, you do have to run quiet. Yeah. There are noise considerations. Yeah. You've got to jam a muffler on your car. The, those are the, the things you're going to have to deal with if we want to keep going back to these racetracks. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It, it it's, a, it's a challenge. And and this is why I, I've never understood the, the people that bitch and moan about the street circuit events. It's like, well, what's your alternative? Because... In Adelaide, there isn't one. So the only opportunity to have a street race within 50Ks of the Adelaide CBD or have a race is at the Adelaide street circuit. Mm. Otherwise, you're an hour up the freeway to the bend or you're an hour north to Malala. And it's it's the same in Melbourne because Calder Park isn't being used, which looks more and more ridiculous by the day because all of a sudden that could be a quite attractive option. Brisbane's exactly the same. It's the Gold Coast or nothing. Um, you know, Darwin ironically is probably the best capital city in Australia because they've got a primo racetrack, which is really good. 15 minutes from the CBD. Having said that 25 minutes from the CBD, you're out in the boonies anyway. So it's all relative, I suppose. But what about this truck out at Cadinia? I mean, if they get all their ducks in a row and they get a bit of the coin that was devoted to the Grand Prix, if that gets siphoned off out that way, they could have a great track there. That's, Halfway to Phillip Island, that's a, you know, a lot Still closer. 45 minutes out. Oh, but no, that, that's, that's life. Yeah, that's but closer. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's never going to be like footy. It's never going to be a Docklands no, scenario. And this is why the Grand Prix is so good, because you catch a Yarra tram on St Kilda Road, get off, and boom, you're at a world-class yeah. racetrack with supercars and Formula One. And, and supercars are never not going to be at the Grand Prix. No, like, no, it's it's too important to their ticket sales now to for them to not be there. And I wrote about this in the race talk, the street circuits, that the fact that people bitch and moan, why don't we spend this money on permanent facilities? But the fact is that having those street circuits, it's the best ad for motorsport there is. Punters with cash go and sit there in the corporate box going, wow, motorsport's rad. This is awesome. How do I get involved? Then they go and take their road car out to whatever the local track is and they get involved with motorsport mm-hmm. you look at the correlation between where motorsport was 25 years ago before this proliferation of street circuits to where it is now all those permanent venues are now run like businesses and they're full 365 days a year running mm-hmm. punters out there doing whatever sort of motorized recreational thing they want to do whereas 25 years ago they had one big race meeting a year and that was it mm-hmm. and they, they sold tickets on to state events on the weekend but now it's totally changed and i think there's a lot to be said for 
what the street circuits do for the rest of motorsport. We have kids, Mark, you and I. You've got a younger one than mine, so probably even more down his alley. But I love talking to Mark Scaife earlier on when I read his book before the chat and uh, his memories of Amaru Park and Oron Park and those sort of places and uh, uh, embedded in his mind. What are the tracks that our kids are going to remember? Well, I mean, I was... I've dragged him along the lakeside a couple of times uh, simply because that's what, what happened to me yeah. when I was a little person and that, that sort of stuffed me up for life. Probably be the uh, GP track for my two younger kids will be the track that'll, that they'll remember fondly. Actually, Winton has a little bit of a, uh, a fond memory for them as well. well I've been there a couple of times. That's disappointing. But there's... Um, no, it's not. Um, there's, um, but like Shebex, there's an entire generation of South Australians working in motorsport that grew up with the Adelaide Parkland circuit. Correct. I mean, I, I could rattle 10 names off the top of my head that are working in the sport or have worked in the sport full time that at some point were involved with volunteered at yeah. earned their stripes at the Adelaide 500 or the Grand Prix. So that that's why events like that are so unbelievably important. So it's not necessarily the Mark being dragged out to Lakeside and, and loving the touring cars with his old man in the eighties. It's, and, and I was, look, I went out to Malalar as a kid as well and loved it. But but my strongest memories are the, from the Grand Prix. And yeah. and as someone trying to crack a, a career in the sport was the Adelaide 500. Far more significant from my point of view. So that's why those events are amazing. It's a kid going and seeing a Formula One car in the flesh for the first time at Albert Park or someone going to Gold Coast Indy and seeing back in the day and seeing an Indy yeah. car, as Mark will attest to. Like that's <laughs> that's what grabs you by the cojones and goes, yeah, motorsport, how yeah, good is this thing? This is it. Mm. Well, I was cleaning out my rubbish trying to move house the other day and uncovered my 1993 Gold Coast Indy ticket, yeah. which wow. was for a grandstand, which is now in the runoff area in the first beachside chicane back in the day. Uh, 120 bucks for the gold reserve seat for the weekend, wow. but, but food and drinks were strictly prohibited from the grandstand area. Oh, right. No. What were you thinking? Yeah, I know. <laughs> wow. No, no wonder the event struggled to kick on. They weren't allowed to you weren't allowed to have a sip of coke while you're watching the race go on, wow. let alone a beer. God. Yeah, yeah no, exactly right. Strategy. Uh we should also mention two guys, and uh we should have done this at the top. Congratulations to us on the <laughs> V8 Supercar Media Awards. You've won Richard, you've won 23 Commentator of the Year awards. I, I have not, no. And I've never seen you more excited than the Race Talk's third place in publication of the year, which is fantastic. Yeah, I'm pretty chuffed with that, Shebex. Um, given, you know, we, we finished P3, it was won by Speak FA, so well done to Crush and the team, and AA was P2. Um, and I've seen the votes, and we won't tell what the numbers are, but we were pretty bloody close. Um <laughs> And they're, you know, full-time professional organisations. And um, we were three stubbies away from someone giving us another three votes and nearly drawing. Yeah, correct. So we just need to buy more people more beers next year and we'll all be good. <laughs> but um, yeah, but, and you know, I'm not saying we're not professional, but I mean, we're not, but um, we, we run the race talk for the love, not the money. So um, yeah, I, I was properly chuffed and, and to be recognised by the people on the judging panel for our efforts throughout the year, both um, on the website and on the podcast. I think it's important that we're a pretty broad spectrum in terms of the writing and the podcast and the social stuff. So 
Yeah, I was I was chuffed, mate. A great, great yeah, result. No, and rightly so, mate. Fantastic result for all of us, Mark. Yeah, well, I'm definitely not professional. I mean, any, any content I do for the race talk, <laughs> it's it's completed while drinking beer after I've done a hard day's work in the office. And but I think that's what makes us work as a as a unit is because we tell the stories that people drinking beer want to read. Yep. Because they're written by people drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not, I'm not, but, I'm, but that, I'm serious about that too. Though. No, but it's, it's content that we like to do. I mean, if we yeah. didn't like doing it, we wouldn't bother. Yeah. I mean, you'd go and watch TV or do anything that normal people do, but uh, mm. it, it's just things that we like to do. And it just seems that a lot of people are along for the ride with us. And I mean, even you look at our socials, they're, they're not full of idiots. No, like, we've, we've had got... a time mopping up after idiots that you see on every other comment section. Mm. It's incredible. But at the race talk, we've got a really good little follower base. Yeah. Really informed, educated people who both listen to the podcast and read the website and, and, um, and interact with it as well with, with some rational rationale. And the whole idea of TRT when we set it up was to be a bit of a, the antithesis to the Facebook comment section. It was like, well, let's actually provide some reason as to why stuff's going on and some explanation and some insight um, without the overblown hype and rubbish that happens on social media. Yeah. And I think we achieved that and continue to do so. No, I'm very, very pleased with that, Chivex. I'm glad and you so brought it up. Be. I'll tell you what else I was pleased with uh, over the last couple of days was the Formula One Grand Prix that we saw the second week of racing at Bahrain, that is how a Grand Prix should be. It had just about everything in it, apart from a fireball. But take that out of it, it had everything. So what do we work out? It is is, um, is it all the car? Is the FIA said to Lewis, mate, you've won everything this year. Yeah, Have yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks off. We'll say you got COVID. No one will question but, it. So, but what did we learn, Chebex? Was it, is it all the car with Lewis? Because George Russell jumped in and went almost just as fast. Or is George really special? Or is it a combination of the two? Because that was the we, big we question, worked, wasn't it? We worked out that the best drivers in the best cars, in the best teams, will continue to win Shock race in and race out. We worked out that I could probably steer that Mercedes to well, the top 10. Oh, no, you reckon? No. no. If there was only 10 cars. <laughs> no, no, I think a lot of it had to do with the car, didn't it? Seriously. George Russell's a good driver, but to be able to step into that beast first time around and get it to where he effectively had it. That's, that's a car. It's not the driver, is it? Well, no, you, I think it's the driver. You, you put a young guy in there. who's hungry to make a point. I mean, that might be, he's one and only ever opportunity in his life to prove yeah. that he's worth it. I mean, he is going to pull his finger out I, and uh, it certainly made Valtteri put him in his place. Yeah. But uh, congratulations to, to the 2019 Mercedes team for pulling off a double podium and a yeah, win. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, if Perez ends up missing a drive next year, which it looks like he's come to terms with happening. Career Cup Australia. Well, why not? Join <laughs> the star studded field. <laughs> I could see it like a Telmex sponsored car in Mexico or Carlos Slim, the uh, Mexican billionaire who, who backs him. Uh, he should go to Red Bull I, uh, and bump Albon out of that seat. I think. Um, well, has he done be... enough Albon to stay? No. He's had a couple so. of his but couple of last drives it. have been all right. Yeah, but too late. He's absolutely smoked by Verstappen. The thing with George Russell, and I disagree with you saying it's all the car, is that he has utterly smoked his teammate at Williams for two years. 
absolutely destroyed them in yep. the same machinery, which is the only judge you can have in Formula One because it's all so much car dependent on who's got what. It's Mr. like Saturday, isn't he? Yeah, it's like what Leclerc has done to Vettel over the last two years. Like absolutely smoked him. Like- so and George Russell, Mark, on the weekend came out and beat Bottas, who's a guy that's beaten Lewis Hamilton on occasion. So no, I th- I think George is pretty bloody special. They made him wear small shoes. Yeah, because he didn't. Have fit. you ever wa- have you ever worn shoes half a size too small? Yeah, I have. And yes. then tried to drive a Formula One car. Yeah, like, you couldn't do it. Well, no, I haven't tried to drive a Formula One car, but um, no one's brave enough to do that. Well, hang on, you you've driven race on. cars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hang on, hang on. We must talk about your uh, efforts on the weekend in a Hyundai XL. Yeah. Please explain. Well, Australia's number one category, Shebex, statistically, in every respect. Uh, we loved it when we saw it on the TV up in Darwin. Was it in Darwin or wherever it was? Townsville. 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 Yeah, Townsville. Townsville. Mm. So you, you don't own the car owner a turret, do you? I don't, know. I've got to, I've got to say, uh, so the car owner is a, a lovely gentleman by the name of Andrew Young, who will be listening to this. He is a subscriber of On The Grid. So he is subscribed to the podcast on, and we thank him very much for his listenership and uh, regular reader of TRT. Um, no, brave enough to, for the second year in a row, what? to let me have a drive of one of his cars. But but the good car was in, in the number one car with some new engine development bits he'd just thrown on. Um, with your name on the window too. That was yeah, well, even that more impressive. came courtesy of XL World Champion uh, Asher Johnston, who's a sign writer by trade. Um, and snuck that one in without me knowing about it. I, I don't like to trumpet these things, but they uh, worked it on the window. Now, I had a genius day. It was just the best fun I've had. And um, a couple of wet sessions at the start, and then it got drier and um, ended up, yeah. Same tyres? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Single tyre for Excels. Um, ended up comfortably smoking my PB and um, learnt heaps, but most of all had a, just an outrageously good time. Uh, I love Malala. It's such a cool little racetrack. Very, very technical in places. Um, had two outrageously good spins. Um, first one was in the wet in the first session. It was so bloody slippery. Screeching very, spins? Uh, well, the second one was because um, I did my PB in the second to last session, the end of the day, final session, fifth and final run. I was like, right, let's just try some stuff that I haven't done yet. Um, and Asher was telling me and telling me how – Turn one at Malala, we all know it, fast right-hand kink. Um, he was like, no, nah, in an XL, it's third gear, slight lift of the throttle, left foot brake. Just get a bit of weight on the nose, turn the car in. Um, but turns out, all of that is true. And I've seen Asher do it on his onboard. But you also need to have ability. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I tried it. I did everything he told me to do. And by the time I got to the apex, I had... 90 degrees of steering lock on the car in the opposite direction to the right-hand corner. We've seen the photo. Backed it off. Yeah, it's spectacular. <laughs> and backed it off into the um, into the runoff area at Hangar 10. Brilliant day. They're such a cool car, and it's so satisfying chasing a lap time um, and improving and going through data and, and understanding your driving and where you're, where you're ballsed up. So, um, no, just bestest day they're so good, it, good on you, mate. highlight of the year thanks thanks andy i really appreciate him letting me have a drive of that thing because um yeah oh, it's great and i put it drove it onto the trailer so that was even better so tony shebecki uh the rumor mill i've heard Crail is going to have to line up uh next year in the enduro <laughs> that's, that's the rumor i'm starting any chance we could call it no there's not 
I wouldn't let you into the state. <laughs> I don't want anybody. Not up I don't, to you. I really no, want to be right, there. No, look, racing isn't in my horizon. But it would make a, if it was offered to you. Make a bloody good story for the race talk, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, tax, tax deduction, if ever I've heard one. It's funny yeah. you talk about that because I was actually thinking about writing some stories next year, a day in the life of an F, an, a Formula Ford driver, a cart driver, a supercar driver. Where are you going to run with them next? when they wake up to when they go to bed? Oh, right. That's fairly Not necessarily in their bed, but be at their front door <laughs> waiting for them. I know there'll be a few supercar drivers who could be uh, pretty scared about that. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of drivers. There's, there's some young drivers. It's probably illegal. Shebex as well. But um, there'll be uh, some yeah, good well, stories. Yeah. Are we going to run those on TRT? Are yeah, we? of course. Where else oh, would we'll, we run them? We'll just, just remember, Mark, just to call the lawyers before we roll those out. But um, oh, well, like they're it. already on speed dial. Yeah. Good. <laughs> no, it's no. We'll, so what what are you saying that you'll do one of those when I make my racing? Well, debut? that was one that was one that I could do the a day in the life of a Hyundai XL co-driver. Yeah, well, there is an enduro at the bend uh, end of next year is the plan. We'll be there apparently. So um, I don't know, mate. I don't know myself. There. Private practice day and a race meeting are uh, very very different. Always Good great fun, to catch mate. up, boys. Thanks, boys. Fun, good times. Final uh, week of F1 this week coming up in Abu Dhabi. We'll so what are we up. doing? Are we uh, are we wrapping up the whole shebang next week? And then what I think we should do, and I'll put this on the record now, is yep. some top fives mm-hmm. to roll cool. us through Christmas, New Year, January. Yep. Um, so if, if, and I'm thinking out loud here, folks, think of is some top fives. Is this for the podcast or is this actually just for us? No, no, this is for the podcast. Okay, folks. good. I won't, I won't cut it off then. No, don't. Um, <laughs> you leave everything else we cock up in, so you may as well just leave this in as well. Um, jump on the TRT socials, folks, at The Race Talk, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and let us know. Top five, it could be anything. It could be yep. our top five, five favorite flavors of ice cream. I'd rather top keep five it. toilets at a racetrack. Yeah, well, there's a I've already run that story. Done it's that a feature story, on the yeah. racetalk.com. Google it, you'll find it. Actually, that didn't make the top 20 stories of the year, interestingly, which I'm pretty disappointed mm. about. Um, Only on numbers. True, true. Some um, might say it was a shit story anyway. Oh, it was God. number two in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Only number one for me. Um, so let us know on our social medias what you'd like us to talk about. Top five. Top five favourite racing drivers, racing cars, our five personal favourite motor racing memories, our top five favorite venues to grab a beer at a racetrack or nearby, anything like that. Throw us a few. We'll bowl over a couple of shows that we'll get through the off season with um, when hopefully there's no motor racing news occurring over Christmas and new year at the race talk on our social medias. And please do not make one of them the top five moments of the 2017, 18 or 20 grand final, because it'd be just too many. I couldn't pick. It'd be like trying to pick. This is a motorsport show, Shebex, not a football podcast. There are many and varied football shows out there for those of you interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. I am not. No. Uh, Enjoy. The Thanks. week. Cricket season. It's great. Yes, I know. It's starting. Brilliant. It See is you, starting. See you, Mark. See you, Richard. See Bye-bye. you, folks. Thanks for joining us once again right here on The Grid. We'll catch you again soon.